Maybe Eric from Boston is just stinky. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility. My car doesn't smell that bad, and I've had it for a couple years now. (laughs) Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. This is Wintry Mix number 59. I am Alex Kaufman. Ready for some car talk? Paul McCarthy is a Burlington-based mechanic who, of course, gets his fair share of laps in the Green Mountains. He's been a longtime listener, emailed me to say hello with no intention of being on the pod, but then I heard he was a mechanic, and next thing he knows, he's petting my cat and we're having a beer talking about cars. We have some audience questions to roll through that were left on the Wintry Mix voicemail line at 802-560-5003. Remember, you can always chime in there with your question or rant or whatever. Also, the show email is alex at wintrymixcast.com, so stay in touch. In case you're new here, you should know that the pod has been around since 2015, there's a deep archive to enjoy, and that as of this fall, it's now locals and visitors to my home studio in Waterbury Center. That means Mad River Valley, Waterbury, Stowe folks, and anyone else who wants to come hang out. Check out episodes 55 and beyond for this new vibe. And thanks to those hitting up Apple Podcasts to drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Holy crap, I owe 90 of you a beer. Stand by for the first ever Wintry Mix Car Talk. Wintry Mix Car Talk is brought to you by the Williston, Vermont-based Shredder Squad at Ski the East. As an alumni of the Wolfpack, I can attest to the avalanche of Black Friday and Small Business Saturday scores that are coming at you. Come on now. Christmas shopping? Sucks. Instead, visit SkiTheEast.net and load up your cart with hoodies, hats, drinkware, women's, men's, kids, stickers, flannels, sweaters, you name it. 100% designed from scratch by Ski Bums to help you keep the shred alive. SkiTheEast.net Holy shit, car talk. Car talk. I can't believe we're going to try this. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'm on NPR or something, you know? I don't know. We need like the bluegrass music. That's yeah. like the intro sound, yeah. right? <laughs> Click and clack or something. Yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to say that out loud or if that's like trademarked. I'm sure it's trademarked. Okay. Uh, so we're going to go for the wintry mix car talk here. We've got Paul McCarthy, who I believe you live somewhere near Burlington, right? Yeah, I live in Burlington. Um, been there for a couple years now and uh working around and stuff and you know enjoying the burlington city life but when you're not enjoying the burlington city life you're generally working on cars yeah that or you know exploring the woods mountains ski slopes you know crags whatever i can so half cars half mountains yes very much so so that's why we have you here and you've listened to the podcast before yes many times well ahead of all the others who have <laughs> So uh, happy to have you here. We're going to try this car talk thing. We got a bunch of submissions 
from the audience that we will be going through later in the episode. And it is about to snow tonight. We have a winter storm warning or watch oh, yeah. or advisory in effect right now. Super stoked. Can't wait. While we're recording, when you hear this, that will have already passed, of course, because podcasting. Yeah, hopefully I've gotten some more face shots. All of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get into those questions, let's learn a little bit about our expert here. So, Paul, you live in the Burlington area now. You are a mechanic where? I currently work at Girlington Garage. Um, I haven't been there for super long right now, just uh, since uh, late uh, spring, early summer. Um, but I've been, you know, tinkering around on cars since I was 17 professionally, you know, since I was 18, you know, after or during my college years um, going to school for automotive technology. Um, you know, and then after that, just grinding away and, you know, earning money for gear. How old are you right now? Uh, 27. Where is the Girlington Garage? Um, so we're right on uh, Shelburne Road, uh, like right uh, if south of all the dealerships and stuff, across the street from the Mitsubishi dealership, which is super tiny. Most people don't even know there is a Mitsubishi dealership in Burlington. The name Girlington Garage obviously leads us to the question of, are girls the mechanics? What's the girl angle? Explain that to me. Um, so uh, Demony uh, opened up Girlington Garage nine years ago, actually very recently, nine years ago. Um, and uh, basically she really wanted, especially women, um, to feel comfortable going into a mechanic you know, into their uh, repair facility, you know, not being intimidated and not feeling super pressured into, you know, buying a bunch of things, you know, basically just having more of a, a genuine experience. So woman owned, um, I assume a lot of women on the staff, probably not every mechanic, but a good percentage. Well, so there's three mechanics. We're all men. Um, there's uh, three women now that work, um, including the owner. And it's a pretty small shop. It's super hard to find women um, mechanics and really women in general that want to work in the automotive industry. Um, you know, it's just you know, the stigma of being a greasy mechanic, you know, Definitely one of Demony's goals is to get more women into the industry. You know, when I was in school to be a mechanic, there was one girl in, uh, you know, the whole program out of probably close to 100 guys. Yeah. You know, so it's super swayed, and I'm sure just women just don't really uh, think they could do it when really, you know— I think the it's a learnable skill. Yeah, it's a learnable skill. I think the industry would benefit in general from women, more women being in in the in the industry. If anybody wants to be a mechanic, especially women, you know, we will train you. We'll you know, if you want to come in for an hour, learn how to change oil and stuff. Absolutely, we try to do some um, you know information sessions um, where people can come in after hours and you know learn how to check oil change a tire check tire pressures you know super basic things all the way to if you want to like actually be a mechanic you know um and volunteer some time and you know learn the ins and outs because it's a lot it's a big process to you know cars are super complicated these days so okay you're a mechanic in burlington top five cars you're working on what are they Oh, uh, I would definitely have to say Subarus, um, Toyotas, uh, especially Priuses. That's kind of the demographic I feel like we uh, cater to mostly. Um, 
uh, you know, some Hondas. Uh, we don't do so much truck stuff. I had a couple questions before we get to the audience one. So I'm considering getting an undercoat. Yeah. For my, I have a GMC Acadia now. It's yep. kind of like a minivan. It's like mm-hmm. if a Subaru and a minivan had a kid. Yeah, I know exactly. It would be the Acadia. Yeah. You know the deal. Yeah. It's out back on steroids. Yeah. And I own it. I'm not leasing it. Mm-hmm. So I've considered, should I get an undercoat? But it's got 40-something thousand miles on it now. What are your thoughts? In my opinion, it's always worth it. You know, that being said, if you have a significant mileage on a car that has been in a high stress area like Vermont, um, you know, you're probably already developing some like surface rust, whether, you know, it's significant or not. So basically when you undercoat it, it's going to cover up that rust and but you're not getting rid of the rust. So pretty much it could still spread. Does covering the rust help at all or that's what i'm worried about yeah. you just identified it which is okay i'm already rusting a little bit does undercoating help me once i've started rusting a little bit if you clean it well enough to get um any really excess moisture off it's kind of a toss-up really like i wouldn't say no it's not worth it to any car to getting undercoated at a certain point obviously you know it's definitely not worth it i would definitely think you should um yeah get i'm at your 40, car. miles yeah so i'm still early enough yeah maybe. absolutely and you know a lot of newer cars too um are a lot better rust wise because or like you know body integrity wise just because you know the manufacturers have realized over the years that you know people's cars get rusted out and they complain and you know not that they don't want you to buy a new car but they want they want to be able to market a reliable long-lasting car um, you can also do this thing called oiling which um, basically it's environmentally i can't see it being very good because you're literally just you know spraying a special type of rust preventative oil it just sounds like a different kind of undercoat. Yeah, it's just an, it's not as permanent though. Um, so undercoating spray um, is almost like um, you ever see that infomercial where the guy sprays the bottom of his boat. That's like a like um, a screen door, and he floats it on the river. I do, I have seen it. I'm trying to remember the name of the product. Basically the same thing. It's like flex a, seal. A flex seal. Yes, yeah. that's it. it um, so it's basically the same kind of idea. It's like a rubberized coating that comes out of, you know, a can. There's different types of it too. Um, but you know, the main stuff you can get like at a store, you know, you could really do it yourself. Um, you're not going to be able to get in all the nooks and crannies as easy as a mechanic would that would be able to get it up on a lift. It's basically, yeah, just like a rubberized coating that, you know, you spray on the undercarriage of your car. So when you're not mechanicking, um, patroller somewhere? Uh, Bolton, it, new thing for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a candidate this year, still going through that outdoor emergency care class. Um, but yeah, I'm super stoked on that. Uh, it's kind of been always a dream of mine to work in the industry in general, um, you know, and uh, to be able to help people and keep people safe and who knows what it could develop into one day. Um, but, you know. If anything, I get to learn some good skills for my own personal adventures. And if somebody gets hurt around me, I'll be able to, you know, get my buddies out a little easier. Um, but yeah, I'm super stoked on that. What's the ski schedule for a mechanic? Like, how do you get out? How do you fit it in? Dawn patrol when I can. Um, one reason I 
wanted to get into Bolton was because they have night skiing so I can um, go there after work uh, and you know get some patrolling hours um, and then weekends you know uh, if the weather is super snowy and enough people cancel out or like you know it's gonna they're just gonna close the shop for the day you know yeah, you know, I'm at the mountain for sure. Yeah, then it's on. Yeah. Um, but you know, just basically when I can, uh, I ski a lot with headlamps, at, you know, after work, um, you know, Timberline corn sessions in the springtime and, you know, pretty much any nine to, well, eight to five or that's my ski schedule is eight to five is my work. And then after that is, you know, whenever I can. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to some of these submissions. What do you think? I'm down with it. All right, stand by. Hey, Alex, I've got two questions about snow tires. This is Steven from New York. Uh, one, how many years should I expect to get out of a set of snow tires? And two, what's a safe minimum tread depth for my snow tires? Thanks. Thanks, Steven from New York. What do you think, Paul? Uh, well, I'll start with uh, longevity. Um, it's kind of a... Uh, base by base situation um you know if you are really good about rotating your tires maintaining a proper uh tire pressure um you know also swapping out uh, what we in the industry called tire season um it's like you know two months in the spring and fall where it's just tires 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 um you know if you're really good about uh swapping your summers for your winters it's very situational. I would probably say, you know, four-ish winters out of tires. That kind of leads into the second question um, of tr- what's a safe minimum tread depth. Um, it really depends on uh, the siphoning on tires tread, which basically helps the tire or is what makes the tire uh, gets rid of all the moisture and pushes it out to the side so the rubber actually meets the contact of the road. Usually I say about four thirty seconds of an inch, which, you know, is not very much. That's and you less. use like a penny, right, or something? Like, well, how yeah. do you determine? Well, so the that old penny trick that people say is the Lincoln's head. If you see Lincoln's head, um, that's when the tire is low. And that's when the tire is very, very low. That is beyond what I would say is a reasonable tread depth for especially a winter tire and a, a good winter tire. Um, you know, personally, I, you know, at 430 seconds, uh, I would, you know, get rid of the tire and get some new ones. Um, it also kind of depends on, you know, a little bit of manufacturer, uh, you know, specifications and things along that line. So I've got a follow-up. I have sometimes put tires that are not the same technical size as my summers on because i was able to find some winters that Mm -hmm. like weren't the same but could fit yeah and my r number was the same because that has to be the same but then the other two front numbers can change a little bit and you can still put the tire on right how does that work when you change tire or the size of a tire on a vehicle from a summer to a winter tire for the best performance you actually want a skinnier tire as opposed to a fatter tire because it can go and it can basically cut through the snow so those two numbers on the uh, the tire size so the first one is the width of the tire um, the second one is the 
the ratio between the width and the sidewall height of the tire and then the R whatever is the rim size. So, um, you know, say you have a 205-55 R15 tire. Um, really, you know, manufacturer-wise, they'll tell you to keep the same size tire on. Um, but if you wanted to have a winter tire specifically, um, I would go like a 195 uh, you know, 50 are, I think I said 15 inch tire. Right. Right. If one changes, the other one has to change a little bit too, correct? Well, it will just naturally. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, just by the way that tire sizes work, it's, you know, it's the ratio, like I said, or, um, the ratio between the, you know, the width and the sidewall height that changes that second number, the smaller of the two numbers. So you can go a little narrower in the winter and that might even help you. Let alone yeah, it'll be, definitely help you. Yeah. Um, you know, and that being said, how much it's really going to help you is probably something an average consumer wouldn't ever notice. But if you're on Craigslist and you've got 205 summers and you see some 195s that look beautiful for you, yeah. they might work pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you know, used tires are definitely something that I feel like some people don't, uh, you know, take advantage of as much. You know, some I've seen tires on the side of the road that are basically brand new for free. And I'm like, what are these people doing? Like, you could sell these for, I mean, for something, you know. Just, I can't believe people that drive a decent amount in the snow. You know, if you don't drive in the snow, if you don't have to drive in the snow, whatever, have your summer tires on all year. If you really want to, good for you. You don't have to spend an extra $400 on tires. Cool. That's awesome. But don't drive in the snow. And if you have to, you know, get some cheapo tires just for safe. It's not even just for your safety. It's for other people's safety. Exactly. And I could go on another tangent about, um, you know, Vermont state inspections and stuff. You know, it's not just about your safety. It's about everybody's safety. Um, so it's, Thursday night, we're getting the first, you know, legit nor'easter that's also going to hit the valleys. Yeah. Coming through tonight. We're literally recording three hours before the snow starts. How many people tomorrow are going to go get their their mountain activities tomorrow without snow tires on? What percentage do you think? You think it's like, oh, hold man. on, I'm going to pose my, my guess. Okay. 46% of the people heading to Stow and Sugarbush for opening days on Friday will have all seasons or worse, 46%. What do you think of that number? Um, I think that's pretty fair. I think, um, I think it's, I think it's also fair to group, um, outs or like non Vermonters into the equation. I think the non Vermont people, you know, maybe discluding some of the college kids that, you know, can afford winter tires and stuff like that. But people that are like, oh, man, it's going to be snowing up there. It's going to be an awesome opening day, you know, coming up from Massachusetts and stuff like that. Um, I bet you 90 percent of them won't have snow tires. But by then they won't really be driving in the snow and things. But, you know, I hope most uh, people that are going up there are going to have their tires already on. But, you know, we're still uh, right in the middle of tire season. So, you know, I think that's a solid guess, honestly. I could I could sell them. I don't know anything about snow tires, but my belief in them, I feel like I could sell them. My wife and I get them on early every year, just automatic. And 
I don't drive my car all that much. I'm either driving to the airport where I'm working from home. Yeah. Um, or I'm going skiing at seven in the morning only on powder days. Yeah. So that's when I need them. Exactly. And I need them bad. Yeah, exactly. So I get them every year. But I mean, the amount of people and the amount of accidents that are caused by people who just have not snow tires on. Yeah. I don't want to know that number because it would just make me angry. Yeah. And I think it's another combination of people just driving too fast. You still got to be able to stop. And if you're going 65 miles an hour when you should be going, you know, 45 miles an hour on the interstate and you can't stop because, you know, there's, you know, a police officer, it pulls over somebody on the side of the road that, you know, got in an accident and you wail that, that police officer, you're going to feel horrible. And, you know, it's just slow down. Yeah. And you're going to jail. Yeah. And you're going to jail, which doesn't <laughs> sound fun. <laughs> All right. Let's get another one in here. Hold on. Stand by one sec. Hey, this is Lucas from Hillsdale, New York, on the border of Massachusetts and the Berkshires, and I'm looking to get a used car to get me to the ski hill on the worst days. I'm kind of thinking a Subaru. I've had great luck with Subarus in the past, um, and I'm looking in the four dollars to $5,000 range, probably an Impreza. But just wanted to see if you have any other suggestions in that range. I'd like to get probably a newer car with higher miles, but like to hear your input. What's better, newer or older, low miles, high miles, what years are best? If you can help me out, that'd be awesome. All right, thanks. Thanks, Lucas from Hillsdale, New York. Good question. What do we think there, Paul? Should he go new with lots of miles, old with none? What do you think? That's definitely, it's a super good question. And I'd like to go back to the first question of snow tires. Snow tires will make a difference on any car. Um, that being said, in your budget, Impreza or Forester would be a superb choice, in my opinion. Um, That's kind of like whether he's got a dog or not, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the uh, Forester is going to have more ground clearance. So when the snow's a little deeper, uh, you're going to have, you know, more ground clearance to get over that. Um, a big problem that, you know, I've personally run into is if the snowpack is kind of deep, you get stuck down into a ditch. Uh, a problem is the snow actually packs up underneath the frame rails of a car and that doesn't let the weight of the car and basically the tires contact as well as they could. So, you know, typically more ground clearance is going to be the best. One thing that you have to worry about, is, especially in New England, um, anywhere above the salt belt um, is rust. You know, if you get a low mileage older car more than likely, unless it's been sitting in a garage, it's going to be fairly rusty because when you drive a car, okay, so when your car sits a lot, it doesn't get it a chance to dissipate dissipate its moisture. Um, so basically, you know, all the stuff gets basically just to sit up in there and, you know, just do its thing. I suppose if you drive a car a lot, you know, you know, highway miles is a better example. Um, your car has a chance to dry out. Highway miles are the least wear and tear on a vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And they definitely, you know, manufacturers definitely uh, cater to more highway-driven cars these days, um, especially the United States market, because, you know, people tend to have longer commutes and stuff. So in regards to his question, uh, my follow-up would be, there are certain brands that when you drive them off the lot, they hold their value. You know, Toyota. 
yeah. Tacomas and, and Highlanders and things like that. They don't drop in value that much. You drop them off a lot. Other brands, for whatever reason, like basically why I got my Acadia, mm-hmm. I got to use Acadia basically because those things drop like a rock much quicker than a Highlander or a Pilot. And so when I'm buying used, I'm like, you know what? I like the fact that it lost a ton of value because I can get it cheaper. So are there any all-wheel drive vehicles that might fit for this guy, maybe in that same range, maybe not, that, I mean, just mit- like the Outlander, for example, that thing can't hold its value very well. No, um, I mean, at least to my knowledge, I don't think many Outlanders are all-wheel drive. Oh, they're not. They're just two-wheel. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. I I, I could be wrong on that. Um, I just haven't really gone into the Mitsubishi world all that much. Um, you know, the reason I think a big reason cars drop in value is um one location um and you know basically what market people are looking for cars like oh, for what's certain, in demand in yeah that like area. what's in demand like subarus especially in new england or tacomas um hold their value extremely well even if they're totally rusted out you know you know they people just want them because they know they're going to be able to get them from point A to point B in inclement weather. Um, you know, also Toyotas tend to hold their value really well in general across models because, you know, they tend to be known for their reliability, um, you know, cheap, cheaper cost of maintenance. Was was any American, well, American I'm thinking like GM-based car maker, making a kind of Subaru-y, all-wheel drive competitor in the time frame for this guy, like seven, eight years ago, so that it would be dropped in value enough? Some of them are now, but well, not, not so much to, then. Not to affect other manufacturers. I'm just trying to think, if this guy wants an eight-year-old, 10-year-old Subaru, yeah. what other things does he really have to look at in the all-wheel drive sedan and wagon yeah, that's category? A, that's, a, that's definitely something I'd have to ponder I mean, VW on. has wagons. They're all two-wheel. Well, yeah, but they do have the four-motion. Um, like, they're, I believe, like, Passat had a four-motion. Um, does four-motion mean all-wheel drive? Oh, yeah, that sorry, yeah. It's, it means uh, that's, like, their all-wheel drive. Okay. You know, like, so Subaru, um, is their, their brand of all-wheel drive is symmetrical all-wheel drive. You know, um, you know, Volkswagen uses the four-motion, which they've used for, you know, decades back into the Vanagon ages. So this guy's gonna... stuck with my stupid car from before, the SX4. If he if he doesn't want to get a Subaru, he wants to save some money, and he wants all wheel drive, and he wants like a little kind of hatchbacky yeah. mini wagon thing. Yeah. I'm surprised no one made a competitor to that, or like there there weren't more, you know, kind of outback market knockoffs. Well, yeah, well, it's it's super hard for manufacturers to you know kind of break into a certain thing yeah. that is already been doing, and well. it's only in demand in certain pockets of exactly. The country. Exactly, yeah. you know, you know, Pacific Northwest, um, you know or just anywhere where it snows a decent amount. It's like trucks, Subarus, SUVs, you know, anything. It's got some ground clearance, four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive. 
um, you know, is going to be in higher demand as opposed to like Florida or something, you know, a front wheel drive car is going to last forever or I mean, Florida. He could go for a seven year old Jeep compass kind of thing. Yeah. If those were still, if they're still running, like yeah, not for that sure. many of them get to a yeah, hundred thousand. Yeah. I'm not uh, the biggest fan of Jeeps personally. Um, I think if you're like, if you're like one of those people that like to go off roading a lot, you know, actually off roading Jeeps are, you know, best thing you can definitely do or like buy so final answer it sounds like we like the newer but with higher miles because it has less chance of being super rusted out yes and if he wants the all-wheel or the four-wheel and he's not looking for a truck it's kind of the yeah. subaru there's not a lot other things that fit all those categories yeah unfortunately i'm like kind of drawing a blank on anything else that really uh you know kind of fits the budget Obviously, Paul and I totally spaced on the class of vehicle like the Ford Escape, Toyota RAV4, Honda CRV. I think Hyundai and Kia both make one of these things. You know what I mean? We spaced them. Also, though, minivans, I don't know if, you know, car camping and stuff, there's a lot of minivans that are four wheel drive or all wheel drive yeah. that, you know, are super reliable. And, you know, you don't even have to drive in the snow. You drive the night before, before the storm, sleep out. You know, get the power laps, get the first chair before everybody else. And you're not, you know, even having to drive in the snow. I'm with you there. I actually, because I have my minivan, minivan Outback Hybrid, the Acadia thing. And just yesterday up at Jay, I was putting my boots on in the car. Yeah. I didn't have to get out of the car to put my boots on. I just yeah. put some seats down in the back and had like a bench seat. And I was just putting my, my boots on in the car instead of getting out. That was yeah. That was a nice benefit. I couldn't do that in an Outback. No, for sure. Um, And I have been known on occasion to you know sleep in the back of my Forester to get the POW in the morning. And, you know, it's kind of a pain versus something, you know, I mean, I think minivans for the whole van life craze is are are definitely underrated in the fact that you know its versatility is pretty great i mean the ground clearance wise you're you're you know you're sol on that what i'm getting at is you want to get the best tire that you can afford within your budget to you know get to where you want to go it's a great analogy the ski boots and the snow tires if your boots don't fit right or they hurt or they're uncomfortable or they're you know super stiff or they just don't you know they're not you're just gonna have a bad day you're gonna have a bad time if if you don't you know put the money where you're gonna feel it the most all right lucas leave us a voicemail and let us know what you buy go subaru <laughs> our next caller is a tad bit more esoteric so let's just uh strap in hey whiskey mix my name is Tracy Taylor, and I'm actually calling you from the northern San Juan Mountains of Colorado. Uh, hey, and I do a lot of driving in the winter up and over uh, 10,200 foot Lizard Head Pass. And uh, my comment slash concern about said driving is when the snowflakes are really big, and you know I'm driving at night, and what I've figured out, you know, so you don't get the, uh, just the snowflakes reflecting and driving towards you, kind of like that Star Wars entering light speed situation there. When somebody's behind me with their lights on and I have my headlights off, that is probably the best scenario. 
because I'm like casting a shadow in front of me, and I can see, still see the sides of the road. Um, also, not so bad when you have oncoming traffic, and it seems like, you know, the snowflakes, instead of reflecting your own headlights, they turn into shadows, so it's easier to see. Um, of course, you know, they say no no brights are needed, you know, because you get to the higher reflection. Hold on, Tracy. Let me interrupt you there. All right. So what did, what did he just talk to us about? We just heard his thoughts on driving with your headlights off in the heavy snow. Yeah. And going into, I like his analogy of going into like light speed or it's like tunnel vision almost, especially with big flakes and stuff. Um, you know, obviously drive with your headlights on um, or some form of light. His comments are totally legitimate not so applicable for us in more developed areas lizard head pass probably maybe where you don't see a car for another five or ten minutes something like that maybe more okay but like you couldn't do it in burlington or even on i-89 no i mean you shouldn't do it in general but maybe for somebody that is in a situation like this um aftermarket lighting is definitely something that i would look into um, personally, I, when the times do come where I'm driving and it's low visibility, you know, it's dumping out, I'm driving super slow and I, I get that tunnel vision of, uh, going into like warp speed. Uh, I have these, uh, yellow fog lights that I tend to turn on, um, that kind of help, uh, you know, illuminate some shadows and things like that. Um, I try not to drive super fast when it's like that or when I'm getting that tunnel vision kind of deal. Um, but, you know, it, it, the concern and the idea there is legitimate. I think he has an idea for some aftermarket. Maybe not like yours. Hold on one sec. What about like a rooftop mounted, you, know, you can mount it on your rack or something, a... Uh... LED light bar like they are selling, you know, so you can add on to your rig to pimp out your four-wheel drive. But you, you throw something in front of it that will cast a shadow on that. You can kind of create your own shadow because really driving without your headlights on and you got someone behind you, that sometimes uh, creates a situation where um, people are kind of wondering about your stability as a driver. Um, it, it works out good when my wife is driving behind me, something like that. We can like, go with that plan. She can follow my taillights. But anyway, uh, that's what I got. So calling from, you know, finally getting cold, southwest Colorado, you know, getting some nice cycles through here too. Looking way better than last year. Mostly thankful for the colder temperatures and whatever dustings we've been getting. Looks like Telluride is on track to open on Thanksgiving weekend thanks to uh, their upgraded snowmaking system. Appreciate it. All right. I I don't know. I sort of understand what he's talking it's about. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot to digest. Yeah, I kind of need a minute. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I guess the thing that sticks in my mind the most is uh, the stability of the driver, the comment. I mean, just I, makes me laugh. I've done what he's talking about. <laughs> I, I mean, just to be clear, I have done these things. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'm just giving him a hard time. And I wish you a great winner. I know that sucked last year for you guys. But um, I guess in theory, 
the thing in front of the light bar, I suppose could work, but I don't know what the heck you're going to, what it's like, you're like putting something in front of you on the treadmill, like a piece of pizza, you know, and you're running towards it. It's like almost that ridiculous. Um, but you know, those light bars are insanely bright. Um, I wouldn't, if you went that route, I wouldn't mount it on like the top of your car I'd almost mount it on like your front bumper as low as possible and angle it down. So it almost reflects off the snow in the ground uh, on like right in front of your car up. Oh, so it's not direct, a direct beam out. Yeah, I like the idea of something that really just shoots kind of down in front of you and goes out as far as it can, but just stays really I low. I mean, if you're going to use something as bright as those LED light bars you can buy for fairly cheap on the internet, um, it would take some tinkering. And I'm actually kind of intrigued right now. I almost want to buy one of those just to see if it even works. But bottom line, whatever you do, Tracy, like test it first. Don't just take it on the road at night in a snowstorm, please. Yeah. Just c- can we cover our liability yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. An- another thing is uh, look at your local state inspection laws because a lot of states don't allow lighting like this for not, or for on-road or public road uses. Um, if you're in, you know, if you're off in the woods. It, you know on some trails four wheeling it up that's different that's totally different but your public roads there's still laws you gotta follow and a lot of you need to look like a vehicle yeah ex- well yeah when well, you can't be blinding on oncoming traffic and things along that line you can't be looking like you're uh you can't uh, look an like emerg- a spaceship exactly okay we got one more in the bucket let's see what we got hey paul alex this is uh eric from boston uh, one issue I always have in the winter is uh, getting that winter car funk out. Uh, as you're tossing snowy gear in and out of your car, it's eventually melting and then getting all musty and mildewy. Um, usually what I end up doing is I usually, when I drive my car to work, park in the garage, I leave the windows halfway down. I'm not sure if this is helping or hurting. Any advice? How do you get that funk out of your car? Thank you, Eric from Boston. I think we can all relate to having a stanky car, but probably not something that people bring their car to the Girlington garage for. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, mouse stink for sure. Yeah, that's another thing that we could go off on. But, um, you know, I almost think that's a badge of honor. Like the stinkier your car is, the better your season was, right? I suppose that. No, absolutely. However, so his strategy it's not great for the ladies. Is leave the windows down a little bit when it's in the garage. I mean, obviously, other strategies are the little hanging pine tree thing. Letting your car air out as much as you can, um, just like you would do with your ski boot liners after a weekend of, you know, getting all sweaty, uh, you know, or just going to home from the gym. As much as you can let something air out, it's going to be for the best. You know, uh, not leaving your gear in the car obviously would help out greatly with that situation um and then uh if you're really stinking it up getting a you know a professional detail you can get your carpets and seats shampooed um and like vacuumed up they have like these whole little rigs up with shop vacs and stuff it sounds like 
he might be suffering from having to put his skis in the car, which have a lot of snow on them sometimes when he puts them in or things like that. So maybe a Thule rack, not a rack, but one of the boxes, and actually put anything that's wet up there until it gets home if you're able to do that. Yeah. Because stuff is kind of dry when you're going to the mountain and then wet and sopping when you're coming back. So I don't know if this dude's got a Thule rack. The most wet stuff you can keep out of your car, yeah, I was coming on the basis of having, uh, I've always have had racks and never really had to keep my skis and such in uh, my car as much. Yeah, yeah, wiping your skis off after a day, um, trying to get some like a microfiber rag or, you know, keep a, a roll of um, paper towels in the back of your car to wipe your skis off to eliminate as much moisture off your skis and snow uh, snow off your skis as you can before you even stick them in your car maybe eric from boston is just stinky yeah i mean that's a possibility my car doesn't smell that bad and i've had it for a couple years now (laughs) all right well that is everything we had lined up here um what is uh one additional item from what you see at either at the garage or heading up into the back country for people's cars. We've done tires. We've done brands. We've done some strategies with lighting and stank. We got one other thing. What do you got? Um, you know, drive at a reasonable speed limit for the conditions that are in front of you. You know, everyone wants to get to the mountain and to the trailhead as fast as possible to get first tracks, but in the long run, is it worth it to get there five seconds earlier versus, you know, going home at the end of the night and enjoying the next beautiful bluebird day on top of Mansfield, you know, skiing, you know, you can't, uh, can't beat the price of safety. It's a good message for November. Snowvember. Snowvember. Have a long season. Don't just keep yourself healthy. Keep your ride healthy. Yeah, change your oil, you know, just take care of the thing that gets you to the places that you want to go. Car Talk, we did it. Yeah, bud. Bow! Yeah. And it's rant time. Actually, reverse rant time. A listener named Mary from Massachusetts left this rant as a Facebook message, so... Let's read it. Ski areas claim five trails open when it's actually one route down from the summit and they break the trail into upper, middle, lower, plus count the base area and the top of the lift as trails, including acreage open is helpful, but it's hard not to stop reading at the number of trails. Stop the overinflation of trail counts, says Mary. End of Mary's rant. But also, let's respond to it. As we all hear this one a lot. The upper, middle, and lowering of trails is not done to inflate trail counts. At least, it's not the primary reason. The primary reason is so that ski patrol, snowmaking, and grooming can more effectively communicate. What part of a trail is open or groomed? Where is that guy with the blown ACL needing assistance? Breaking trails that have distinct sections that can be opened apart from one another into upper, middle, and lower is primarily done to facilitate safer ski area operations. The issue is more with the public's definition of the word trail and expecting them to be top to bottom when ski area operators think of them as distinct, openable, and closable sections. So yeah, it can be annoying, but it's not really done to mislead, and most resorts have become upfront about the number of routes open in the early season, in addition to the technical trail count, which will be higher.
End of rant explanation. So that was fun. Also a good use of the voicemail. Remember, you can call 802-560-5003 to leave a question or a rant or whatever. Or just hit me up via email at alex at wintrymixcast.com with any feedback or just to shoot the shit. In the meantime, I always appreciate those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you leave one, I will owe you a beer when I see you in the wild. As of this recording, we had 90, and 100 will mean nothing, but it will feel pretty good. Follow on social at Wintry Mixcast, or better yet, share an episode, and tell a pal about the pod if they've been missing out. And yeah, podcast theme music is by Adam Levy, but we all know it's a cover of West L.A. Goodbye. fine we're gonna wrap this segment anyway I'm yeah gonna go to the next one. yeah okay the, they have a certain specifications but basically they have They're to hear stop and it's say, the no, no, listen, 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 just stop and say exactly they have no no just literally say the word exactly exactly okay cappy is barking all right i'm gonna have to let him in that's okay that's cool dead air that i will have to cut out Cappy, be quiet. If you're going to be in the podcasting studio, you have to be quiet. Yeah, come on, man. I don't know where the cat is, but... Somewhere being sneaky. You ended with...